This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Prepare to get caffeinated. Only officers are allowed to enjoy football. Only officers. That's right. Uh, it's an elite club. <laughs> yeah, one would say it's an elite club. It is. But it's it is. good to see you, man. You too. I, um, we got so much to talk about, it doesn't really matter. We'll just get into it. So right. Clay was talking to me earlier, and he was like, when he was he was walking around, he was admiring my leadership style. And uh, is that exactly it? Right. <laughs> exactly right. I want to be just like him when I grow up. <laughs> I was uh, I was more appropriately telling him like nobody should ever copy my leadership style in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Uh, I so we have a new podcast guy, right? And the other day, uh, I had the guys over because I was doing Fox and Friends, mm. and uh, my my podcast guy that was setting up the cameras, they were like late and all fucked up, and I went sub nuclear. <laughs> Subnuclear? Like, I don't know what that means, but I, I went like, I split bad. an atom and it, there was a big, so it was like a fizzle, emotionally a explosion. It was, it was really bad for everybody because I was like, you got to be fucking this was kidding the Fox me. And Friends guys were there for this too? No, it was five minutes before we were supposed to be oh, on, so this on national thing. air. And they're like, hey, so what account do we need to log in to do this? And I was like, you guys not do like rehearsals or what the fuck? So, that was his introduction to me. That was his introduction. That was day one of me really, we'll just say I was very vivid, you know? So not nurturing. Is that a fair statement? Nurturing in some regards. Like if you're in a gulag, you know, like I would be the nurturing. Yeah. Like if you were getting tortured every day and yeah. this day you only got yelled at, that would be your <laughs> That best would day? be the nurturing. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. That's a stretch, but yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so you're asking about bears, bears and the Buccaneers. We we're talking about oh, this is this hunting. will be a football team, yeah, not yeah. hunting. So I went bear hunting. Well, kind of. I went elk hunting, and then we got a bear tag, then we got a uh, tag for a pig. I mean, I killed an elk, bear, and a pig all He's, within 24 hours. And you One have to have a tag for a pig in California. <clears throat> Like no, you, no, you, you don't. You just need a tag for the bear. You don't need anything. I don't think for you need pigs anything. in Texas, you can shoot them at will. Well, this is California. Yeah. I, I was surprised you didn't have to like shoot them with, um, you know, a free range organic vegan, uh, you know, uh, non binary bullet that just whispers in their ear and tells them to like Roll over. die. Yeah. You know, I was very surprised you could even shoot anything uh, in when California. You said you were hunting in California. I was like, no way. Yeah. Yeah, well, Joe has, he's got it dialed out there. He knows, he knows where to go. So, mm. uh, it was fun. I mean, I, this is my first black bear. Yeah. You know, he was running. Like, we came around the corner, he was what running. You, what kind of rifle were you using? 6.5. Okay, uh, uh, PRC or Creedmoor? Uh, I think it was Creed. I think it was 6.5 Creed. It was the guide's gun because I only brought my bow. Yeah, yeah, so, travel with a gun these days, pain. Well, not to California. Oh, like, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. In secondary for like a month for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I it, it, I don't even know if like you can travel to California with a gun. I think 
you might be thrown in jail even if you just look at a gun in California at this point. I'm not sure. Yeah, so, I don't. I wouldn't press the test on that. Like I wouldn't no. try. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just bought a six five PRC. It's a good rifle. Summer. It is. Yeah, um, or a good round. Yeah. What rifle did you get? Um, it's now. I know you're going to ask. And it's Best of the West Gunworks out of oh, yeah. Cody. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. and uh, and so I got it. And I the guy took me out in a range and dialed it in. So it's a beautiful gun. Yeah, I love it. So well, I'm going mountain lion hunting in Wyoming in January. With who? So there's a guy, um, uh, Bo Stocks, who runs um, Savory Outfitters a in name. Bo Stocks. That, that seems like. Yeah, he's a good dude. He hunts, he hunts bear. You sleep in conics oh, nice. and stay out there. Right. And then, uh, but the, you got to be on call. So you got to wait for fresh snow. Right. And then you fly out to, one of our board members has a ranch right outside of Saratoga, Wyoming. Mm. And uh, so we go out there and then uh, we'll go out and shoot and see if we get something. So, I think, I think you'll probably have good luck. He says, There's a lot of cats. He said, as long as you're not holding out for like a saber tooth yeah. tiger type right. of uh, thing. And I was like, as long as it's not bigger than a house cat, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Well, shoot a couple house cats too. I would imagine that there's some despair. Don't we have extra? House cats? I would imagine, right? But they're probably not romping out in the snow and Despair. getting treed by dogs. Yeah. But yeah, I get your point. You're you're hunting, so you're hunting pigs too? So we, in Texas, yeah. I mean, they're not, uh, whatever, they're not native to yeah, Texas. Yeah, they're invasive species. Yeah, so we uh, we went out and shot them off of a helo. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a blast. I mean. Were you out there with Pilot X? Or with somebody no, else? the guy who runs it is Barrett Bloom, and mm-hmm. I would love to give him a shout out because he donated. We did it sort of as a fundraiser mm-hmm. for the Special Ops Warrior Foundation. We went out and shot to a side on a notar, so it was one of those little birds without oh, yeah. the tail rotor, mm-hmm. and uh, we were flying under wires and yeah, so shooting cool. them. Oh yeah, we got a couple of coyotes too. Nice. So yeah, it was a blast, and I've done it. I've been out pig hunting there three or four times. We went once at night. So we were uh, shooting um, AR-10s, 308s, yep. with thermals. Mm-hmm. And then they have a drone with a thermal camera. So they sh- launch the drone, you find the pigs, and then they vector you in, um, you know, with oh, yeah. one guide with an right. earbud. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. But you, you went out with Pilot X, like, how many months ago and flew... I've only done the Hilo hunt once. But you flew the helicopter, the Oh, the oh no, Pilot you're talking X. about an El Paso? Yeah. Yeah, no, I flew the helicopter. Yeah, I flew yeah, yeah. the Little Bird with JT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I flew the Little Bird around. It was like riding a bike. I said, really? Yeah, I screwed up the start. Like, because that's a mod. That one, you got to, this is all pilot sure, sure. stuff out. Yeah, yeah. But you got to hit, you got to go from, you know, you got to modulate the start on some. That one, you didn't have to, but you had to do it at the right turbine speed. Oh, really? Yeah. So, <clears throat> anyway, uh, he had to help me out with that. He said, you know, because you'll overtempt the engine if you're not careful. Got it. But once he got a thing up and I said, okay, now we got the big fan running. Right. Got it from here. So, how much How much time had gone by? How, how long oh, it had it been? Probably since I've flown a little bird. Yeah. Probably 10 years. <laughs> really? Yeah. But, you know, it's sort of your body. It's sort of like riding. It really is like riding a bike. I'm not yeah. saying that I could fly it. You know, with four operators, two right. on each side, all, you know, full of gas to a rooftop. I couldn't right. do that. But this was a light bird. And, you know, it was El Paso's probably about a mile high, I'd say, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So you got a little bit of environmental uh, constraints there. But right. no, it was fine. It was fun. I went out and flew around. JT was there and critiquing the hell out of everything I right. did. So I had to be good. 
Because like, you guys are sort of not charitable on stuff like that. Like no. Whatever. We're charitable in other means, like but not with our It'd be like words. one of your versions of nurturing sessions. Yeah. Like it'd yeah. be something like that. It's a good nurturing session. Yeah, except that I don't want to have one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would never give you one. Like, I have too know? much respect for you. I, you know? I have respect for you too. Mm-hmm. I just don't say it publicly. I don't either. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't would... like, I don't, I don't want any rumors to get out that I'm kind to officers. Mm. <clears throat> I ran into a guy yesterday that we just hired and he came up to me. He's like, Hey, you know, I'm new. I was an SF guy. And I was like, Oh, what'd you do? And I like when I get that response because he's like, Oh, I was a team leader. I was like, Oh, What's up, sir? Did you go to West Point? He's like, <laughs> I did. You know, like, oh, and man. they just start like healing back. And I'm like, would you extend his probation period? <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. How long have you been out? You know? And then he's, he just kept going. I said, I've been, I've been out for like 10 years. Oh, okay. Well, the, the, you've, you've washed all that stink off you. You know, like you, you've been out for a while. You've washed all that stink off you. Don't worry about it. You know, I got a few West Point people who work out here now. Do you? Mm-hmm. Our, my yeah. VP is a West Point guy. He was SF seventh group. Mm-hmm. Um, 82nd, they went to, you know, the Q course right. uh, and served in a, as a special mission unit guy for years. Great guy. Really? Yeah. Great guy. I mean, yeah. very, I've served, I mean, I was deployed with him multiple times. Right. But, you know, every guy's different, right? You get good yeah. ones, you get bad ones. Just, you know. Every guy's different. Yeah. Exactly right. I don't, I like to carry on the lineage of like, giving officers shit because that's fun for me. But I've noticed. I've got a lot of them that are very competent and professional um, that work for us. Like, it's just fun because, well, Tom, the co-CEO, I mean, he was an officer. I know. Not a West Point guy. He's a no, Duke guy. He was guy. a Marine infantry. He's a great guy. Yeah, great guy. I mean, he raised the mean GT level of this whole place when you guys hired him. Very true. Yeah, I can't dispute that. I think that the officers do need a group of people that actually do work. Like, you know, so they can pontificate high in the ivory tower and talk about all the theoretical stuff. But then there's actually people that have to go out and do it. You know, they got to like go out and do the blocking and tackling type of thing, you know? Well, it's, it's good to have, you know, and I'm not saying that my, my career path is recommended because it took me 40 years when it should have taken me probably 30 or 28. 40 years. Well, almost 41, a month shy of 41 years. Why don't you just round up? It well, seems like 41 is the right. Loser. Then yeah. somebody say, well, you didn't work there really 41 years. <laughs> I say, is anybody really going to be like, out of all the months? Well, I just want to be clear, right? right? So, and accurate. But the funny thing was, right. in my retirement ceremony, my youngest son was 17. He was mm. sitting in the audience. This was in 2018. And he was like two months younger than I was when I joined. So wow. instead of usually retirement, they'll say, well, when... Well, they joined the military. Gas was free. And, you know, and you know what I mean? I'm right. like, they were still flying biplanes. Blah, 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 blah. You know, that's a standard. Those are all standard jokes. Those are good, though. Standard. They're so good. But for me, what really, I said, like, holy crap, you know, my son was my, I was his age right. when I signed out to be a Marine and went to MCRD San Diego. I mean, I think about it, you know, and I was like, wow, that puts it, that put it in perspective for me. Because, I mean, here I am, you know, I was 17 when I joined and I was 58 when I retired. 58. You don't look a day older than 80. You don't look a day, like, so you're doing good. You look, you're looking good. I would say, I mean, it's been a good 
you haven't had a lot of stress in your life. Well, I appreciate 40 the years. fact that you're reinforcing my already sagging self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> so how I mean, long you have really you been out? Three very years? Positive guy. Yeah, so it'll be three years, December 1st. Okay. Formerly, and I've been, you know, the CEO of the Special Ops Warrior Foundation that whole time. I just signed up for another three years, by the way. Oh, nice. So is that like a, you got to sign up? Well, my contract was a three-year <clears throat> contract. And I don't, you know, but I stayed and I like the mission, obviously. I like what right. we're doing. We're having an impact. And yeah. so I was like, or I could be sitting here trying to sell you and see, tell you why Black Rifle needs a Black Hawk helicopter for you to fly to work every day. You don't fucking have to sell me on that. I already believe in that. But you need I one? believe in that. <laughs> yeah, I believe in that. You know, I, I, we just, you know, we have to get there. You know, we have to get there. Well, I'm going to send your contact info to Sikorsky then, and they'll start hitting you with... Uh, well, we have we have one. JT and I actually purchased one last year. A Blackhawk? Oh, not a Blackhawk. So a little bird. We don't need a Blackhawk. Is Hawk. it that one that I flew out in El Paso? It's one like that. One they're like build, Yeah, they're building it for us because oh, we... Oh, no kidding. Yeah, because, well, Pilot X builds them, right? You probably right. saw some of his others. So he'll take yeah. like those... The older birds, and they'll get the parts and pieces and put them all together. And for basically half of what they would, if not less, of what you would buy them intact, mm-hmm. ready to go, because they're you know 1980s or whatever whatever age they are. Yeah, they're older than that. I mean, they were yeah, way older. Yeah, late 50s, I think, yeah. they started building them. So he'll put them all back together. JT and I went in. Uh, we, we thought that would be a good investment because at the end of the day, he can use it and lease it out. And is this going to be in El Paso? Is, mm-hmm. is that where you're going to base yeah. it on? Yeah. I'll talk to JT about that. I'd be yeah. interested in taking a look at some pictures of it, see what you guys are. Well, you'd, yeah, you'd have to come out and fly it. Oh, I'd absolutely yeah. do that. And if maybe with you in the other seat. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah that'd do. be great. Yeah, Toby, our chief operating officer, West Point grad, and Apache pilot. Oh, so he's a 64 guy. She. She. Oh, that was cool. sexually presumptuous of you, but it yes. Was. That's right. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's great. She hasn't flown for like ten years, so we could. We should both go out there and fly. Mm-hmm. I think that would be completely safe. Think? Mm-hmm. I think it'd be fun. No, listen, I'm I'm I've got probably five somewhere between five hundred and a thousand hours in a little bird, which wow. is but my total time is over three, right? So, but most of my time was is 60. that a lot. For a commissioned officer, 3,000 hours is a lot. If you go to the 160th and see the W4s and W5s, it's not. Uh, Or, you know, uh, the same in the senior warrants, especially Mm -hmm. the guys that have been during OIF and OEF during that period. We flew a lot of combat time. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, for a commissioned officer, that's very respectable, I would say. Right. What what do the warrants typically retire with? Um, I think it depends. A lot of it is what kind of airplane you fly, right? right? So Apache pilots tend to get less flight time than like a 60 pilot right. or a 47 pilot. Um, so it depends. But mm-hmm. I would say the range of three to 10,000 hours. So I know a lot of Little Bird pilots um, that have six, seven, eight thousand, and well over a thousand Hours of combat time. That was very common. Oh, a thousand hours of combat just time. Com- I had badass. about between three and 400 hours of combat time, but oh. so I was low. Right. But it really was timing, right? If yeah. I would have been a younger officer when, right. when after 9-11, you my time gotten- was 
Panama, Desert Storm. I mean, right. I got some time in Iraq and Afghanistan, but I was more- Did you senior. fly in Desert Storm? I did. I was did a uh, DAP uh, pilot, oh, direct action. Right. Yeah, yeah. We were going after the Scuds being uh, shot into Israel out in the Western, yeah. by Al-Qaim and out oh, in yeah. the area. Mike Durant. Al-Qaim was a fucking shithole. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> I mean, I I it didn't get any nod, better from you know? 2005 no, to the time you were there. No, oh, I was flying God. there. You think about the guys that I was flying with. So I was, Mike Durant was on one. We had two teams of two ships right. that were going up. One night we'd be pulling QRF. The next night we'd be flying up there. So, so Cliff what were you Walcott, doing? was killed in small. We were hunting scuds. Yeah, but where, but how were you doing that? So would so the intel had, come get, down? You get you intel just, and we knew where they launched, where they're, you know, we'd see where they launched from, right? Right. Oh, okay, okay. And then you. they'd use that and we'd just basically go hunting up there. Right. So would you do load up a couple of dudes in the, like how many birds would go out with you? Two. We'd two go guys. on two ships. Okay. And uh, so we go up as a two ship. So we had one mission to support ground forces that mm-hmm. were operating up there doing recce. Right. And then we had, you know, but my mission was sort of independent of them. We'd mm-hmm. go up and look for them and we'd find them. We'd find parked under power lines and things like that along the border. Now, it's debatable, arguable whether those were uh, decoys or real. Oh, right. And uh, I mean, I looked at them in my, and there's pictures out on the internet of them. What our sort of Mike Durant and I argue over whose FLIR picture it was, you know, mm-hmm. jokingly, but they looked real to me. But they could have, if they were mock-ups or decoys, they were very yeah. sophisticated. Right. Um, and so we'd shoot them up. But I know this, that after we started going up there, the the scuds being shot into Israel dropped off dramatically. Really? Yeah, we had a, at least a deterrent effect. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but it was a long flight. We'd fly from Saudi all the way up. So we were in the air four to five hours. And, you know, this, so we'd tank, we'd, Plug in ox fuel tanks on the floor. Right. Aircraft were super heavy on takeoff. Just to have enough gas to get up there and get back, you know? Yeah, I was going to say four to five hours. It's a long yeah, time. It's a long yeah. time. So, And what kind of guns are on that? So back then we had um, two fixed forwards uh, miniguns, 762. Right. We And then we carried, then we carried two 19-shot rocket pods, so yeah. two 75s, folding fin rockets. Right. That was our primary armament. After that, they upgraded. They carried the M230 30-millimeter gun, which is the same yeah. gun that's on the Apache. Mm-hmm. But ours is hard-mounted on a wing. It's right. not an articulating gun. We carried Hellfire missiles mm-hmm. in Iraq and Afghanistan and still shot rockets and miniguns. The miniguns are good, especially if you're close into friendly, so right. you don't get as many ricochets. You know, a 30-millimeter the lethal bursting radius, if my memory serves me cl- correct, is three to five meters correct. per round yeah. at a cyclic rate of fire of 600. So friendlies are too close. You got right. to be very, very careful. Yep. So we use the miniguns for situations like that. And they mm-hmm. still carry fixed forward miniguns to this day. Yeah, I've seen them. Like I've obviously been Yeah, the DAP's them. a good, you know, mm-hmm. it's a good weapon system. Um, you know, they've it's developed nice. it over the years. Yeah, and yeah. it's... You know, it can keep up with Blackhawks and Apaches. Now, I would say in defense of the Little Bird guns is Little Bird guns are, um, they're much better in an urban environment, especially. That's right. really, they can turn quicker. Yep. Um, they're very precise, uh, but they have limited ordnance. So what, how, how, how do you aim that hard mount? On the side, did you just have like a grease mark on the window so the or something? So Little Birds run a grease pencil mark, right? Okay. So 
And I, you know, the way it's, it's not scientific. You, sure. go up, yeah. so you got your two pedals in front of you. Yeah. You go up, I think it's either the left or right pedal. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but you go up and then you count the, you count the rivets okay. up the side of the windscreen and then you draw an X and then you shoot. And so you count the rivets. So you got sort got of it. some consistency in your grease pencil mark. And then, you know, you might adjust it. Right. You know, and you, or use Kentucky windage. Yeah. And shoot that way. So, and the little bird guys are incredible at, at shooting. The DAP has a heads up display mm-hmm. in the cockpit. It's called a CCIP HUD, which is continue, continuously computed impact point. So it, based on whatever ordinance you put in there. Oh, okay. So if you say I'm shooting right. 30, that's yeah. the selected weapon gotcha. system. Then that thing adjusts to right. the ballistics of a 30. Oh, that's cool. Or a rocket or minigun. Right. Uh, and they also have hard-mounted lasers on the nose uh-huh. yeah. that so you can put on the target. Oh, so you can paint? Yeah, so you, you, know, you come in and you've got, yeah. it's just like shooting a red dot, right? Right under yeah. your nod. You see it there and you shoot with that. Got it. So that's how they shoot. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I think we should probably get some mini guns. We, we have some, so we'll you have know? to mount some. Yeah, we, we've got, we built this Tesla it has miniguns mounted in it. A Tesla with minigun. Yeah, it's a Tesla X. Don't, don't, Is that the doesn't everybody trucks? have that? It's a Tesla X. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody, everybody has that. I think the, the doors open and the miniguns come out. And operate I, them. I'd definitely love to have one. You don't have one? No. Weird. I, I, my wife, the, my CFO, being my wife, <laughs> may, uh, may put the King's X on that one. You know? <laughs> hey, I got a great idea. I want a Tesla with miniguns to pop out. Yeah, we, we thought it would be a good idea for... Um, Heavy traffic? Yeah. Like, well, we wanted something. We wanted to go green. You know, we were we were really... This is part of our green initiative. So you put mini guns on an electric vehicle? Right. Yeah. So we wanted... Well, you, because there's so many people that, that like to say that we went woke. We were like, well, we got to go green and let's put some mini guns on a Tesla. It seems, seems appropriate to me. I, I didn't realize that you were so environmentally conscious I like am. that. I know. I have, I, wow. I'm putting solar panels on the roof. This, this whole podcast is very revealing for it me. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, we're putting solar panels on the roof here in Salt Lake. Oh, are you? Yeah. Salt Lake and Manchester, actually, both. Eventually, Manchester. Is that Tennessee? That's where, roasting? Uh, yeah. That's where roasting is. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I, I love solar power. I got I solar power, power. I got solar in my fucking house. Do you? Yeah, of course. Because I think it's awesome. I think it's, I think it's so fucking cool. Like when you think about it from the scientific perspective, we're taking energy from the, from the sky and it's free. You don't right. have to like. And harnessing it. Yeah, it, it's fucking cool. Now, I understand, like, I'll, you know, there's probably a bunch of people that are like, but the batteries, and they're fucking bad. And all that. I'm like, I don't care. Right, right, I right. think this is just really it's cool. less emissions into the atmosphere. Yeah. But how, so is, do you see a decrease, a noticeable decrease in your power bill since you've had it? Uh, well, or, I've been waiting for, because this is the other thing. This is, this is like, the 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 lovely and maybe there's somebody out there that can explain this to me because I don't fucking understand it and it really irritates me, which is so I get solar panels put on the house and now I got to wait for the city, which is the power company, basically to come out and literally just turn the handle, um, but I have to wait months before somebody if and if I turn this fucking handle to on, like if I were to turn it on. 
uh, the fine is immense. So I can't flip the switch on this until the city comes out, tells me it's okay so they to turn my everything. Or well, that- it's just a power company issue. And I, I have no issue against power companies. I have like zero issue against any of this. I have issue when it comes to individual liberty and when it comes to bureaucrats interfering with my individual liberty. That's what I have a problem with, which is like, mm-hmm. I have solar panels on my house. It requires a switch to turn it on. We should be able to do that. But we can't until the city tells us it's okay. And when because you, I need, and are you in the queue for an appointment now? I've been waiting for like 90 days. Some people, it takes six months. Wow. For the city to come out and turn it on, flip the switch for you. So needless to say, I think it's amazing technology. I love it. I think it's, it's, it's hyper interesting to me because mm-hmm. I think um, any time we can figure out a way to become energy independent, that's great, especially as a nation. I look at it as a national security issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's more independence, less reliance yeah. on foreign sources of energy. Yeah, I'm in the same way with the Tesla. My only issue with them is they don't, they're not considered, I mean, I, I, you know, I've read they're not as reliable as you would like. And right. I just worry about the range. Like, it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, if you got a 350 mile range and I'm driving, you know, I had a, I had a son that went to NC State. So I'm driving yeah. from Tampa to Raleigh. Well, it's not like it's I pull into a gas station mm-hmm. and plug in and five minutes later I'm on the road again. It's mm-hmm. 45 minutes or an hour and you got to, yeah. you just, I it's mean, not I think feasible. the infrastructure is not there to support it. Right. I mean, I like the idea of it. If I thought I could, you know, going back and forth to work, if I had mm-hmm. a three-car garage, which I don't, I'd do it. But I just... No, I, I would do the same thing. Yeah, like I, yeah. Like, I thought about getting one of those really small, like, the, little uh, the Model C or whatever yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, like yeah. a little hatchback kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because... They're not that expensive, actually. I, it's... 15 minutes back and forth from the me to the office. It's 90% of my driving. Like there's no reason why I need my right. F350 to take my, you know, 160 pound ass back and forth to work every day. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, one of my guy that I worked with who worked in my outer office when I was at uh Usasoc way back when, he had a uh, what is it, a Volt or something? Oh yeah, yeah, that Chevy Volt. Yeah. He uh, said, I mean, he's a great guy, but he said he didn't buy an ounce a drop of gas for like a year and a half. Right. So on a certain, it depends what your profile is. Yeah, right? yeah. So for, exactly. So for something like that. For me, I'd be fine. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. But for you, probably yes, not. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you just got to, yeah, right. You got to have a backup plan. Like sure. I'll take my wife's car if I'm going over a certain distance or something like that. Here's a, here's an interesting question. Not really. It's just more, more curious than anything. Out of, are you, out of all the cars you've had like in your, in your long Long life. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite type of vehicle? Some deep shit that we're getting into. It is. Ahead. It's very, I mean, you're stretching my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, the, my favorite vehicle fun-wise, yeah. right, was probably a Jeep yeah, Wrangler okay. back solid. in the day. Yeah. I mean, I drove from California to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, in a Jeep as a E3 I had just enough money to make it. I couldn't pay for a hotel, so I pull outside right. the road, roll out my sleeping bag, and sleep underneath my Jeep, which was sort of normal back then. That's I mean, normal. You yeah. would get arrested for it today. But yeah. um, so I I did that. Now um, I had when I was and did a year in Korea. I saved up money. I bought a uh, Porsche Macan. 
What's which that is one? a small SUV. There's a Cayenne and a Porsche Macan. Oh, okay, the smaller okay. Of the two. Right, right. And I loved that car. Really? And I loved it primarily because acceleration. Yeah. You know, when I'm merging into traffic, I mean, that thing was turbo. I mean, it right. was like, you know, you're getting sucked into your seat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I liked that. But I'd say, you know, when I was younger and single, I mean, I'd drive around with the top off. I'd hang out in my Jeep. And I mean, that was, you know, probably my one of my favorite vehicles ever. Right. I could see that. Yeah. I, I was going to say like an FJ40. You struck me as like an FJ guy, you know, like a, you know what those are? No. See? But it's basically, it's the Toyota version of the Jeep, right? It's like that old Wrangler style. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah. I thought those things were um, uh, Land Land Cruisers. Land Cruisers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do love Land Cruisers. Right, yeah. Especially the uh, older ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so do I. It's just like I like the uh, Defenders. I love those. Range Rover Defenders. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I really like those. Yeah, Yeah, that that Defender 110, that kind of that standard safari wagon type yeah, they're so cool. Yeah. If they weren't just such piles of flaming shit. But everybody's buying rain. I mean, in, in Tampa, you can't go anywhere without seeing Land Rovers everywhere. All really? So, everywhere. And I and I I mean everybody has them. Yeah. Down there. I mean, when I say everybody, not everybody, but right. like literally. the old style, like the 90s. No, 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 no. These or the are the new modern ones. ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I gotcha. But I but no, the Defenders, I would love to have one. But they're yeah. hard to find. And they're not... They're not dependable at all. They're not. And so that's part of it. You know, you can't yeah. have a not... You got to have a car that you can count on when you turn the key, a better start. Yeah, like I, I love those um, more manual, less technology, four-wheel drive vehicles. Right. Like I love them. Like Which I, is I like them. the old Land Cruisers, yeah. right? We're just like the old Defenders. <clears throat> they were the what they wrote on Safari yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like it's I'm like an you. AK-47. It's fucking fired every time. Yeah, so- like turn it up, like whatever. But they're so not practical. They're not mm-hmm. practical. Not not for a guy that has two little kids, like a four four year old and a seven year old, like where I need to have car seats and yes. you know and yeah. be able to like. They're a fun vehicle. They're fun. And they're really selfish in the context of if I were just driving it around to, you know, feel the 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 British inspired wind in my fucking hair, you know, <laughs> like great. But it's not practical, man. Mm-hmm. I gotta have like a new F one fifty because it's never gonna not start for the probably the next five years, right? Because mm-hmm. it's new and it's got went, you know, all the biz bang horse shit in I it. I rode with you on the first weekend you had it where the wheels were rubbing in the... Oh, yeah, that yeah, pile you, of shit. You were not happy. I was not happy. I, I think that's kind of a modern um, thread of my life is for Clay. It's like, man, you're not happy. I, uh, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty happy most of the time. Yeah, I was just... I was riding up in the front seat. I think you started off our conversation with, you know, I hate officers, right? I think that yeah. was like one of the first words you said to me. Yeah. I was like... Well, you know, I'm sitting right here. My my best friend was a was an officer. I remember yeah. there, and remember last time I was here, we had his widow here, mm-hmm. which we surprised you with that. That was pretty. That was cool, really wasn't cool. It? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really cool. And um, her kids are taken care of. One's mm-hmm. at LSU, yep. and I think the, the the other one's uh junior high school or sophomore yeah, in high school. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she was here with her mom, mm-hmm. and I think she's looking. She's a good soccer player. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I so, hope she's. No, they're they're in the program. I mean, yeah, they're 100% in the program. Covered and yeah, no issue. Yeah, 
Yeah, so he was also a West Point graduate. He was. And he was an officer. So I, I obviously don't have too big of a problem with him. But to be fair, he acted more like an enlisted guy. When I say that, he was more... Hands-on, more... A little bit rough around humble. the edges, you know? Edgy. I wouldn't say humble. Uh, because there's a lot of enlisted guys that weren't, weren't too humble, you know? In this community? Yeah, oh, the yeah. SF community. Oh, we yeah. were talking about that earlier, which is really funny because... What brought it up was um, I donated to Tulsi's campaign a couple of years ago when she was running for president. Mm-hmm. People are like, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, well, I think it's awesome that you know, female veterans are putting themselves out there, like putting, putting themselves in the grind, just holding people to task because she was holding the Clinton political war machine to task on a regular basis. And she just, she earned a lot of respect for me, right? Mm-hmm. Or I earned whatever that is. You guys know what I'm saying. And um, I took some heat over that. Took some like heat over supporting a friend mm-hmm. with $500 donation. And I think a lot of people don't get that because, you know, my whole thing is, is that as a veteran community as a whole, we're really good at saying like, I'm a veteran, right? Right. We're really bad at times at supporting one another and for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like a competitive issue because we were talking about it in the context of like special operations community has, you know, tiers, right? It's like, it's a fucking packing order. So you'll start at like ground branch, right? We'll just like say ground branch at the top and people can say whatever they want. I can say that word. It's in, Wikipedia, it's it's everywhere. It's 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 not as if I'm relinquishing national secrets. So just relax, every Grand Branch guy that <laughs> thinks that you can't say that. Just read a Jack Carr book, and you'll realize that you can. Um, so they're kind of like the top of the you know clandestine ground pounder, you know, spooky space. Then you, you get you know got all the SMU tier trees, and then it's, you know Vanilla Soft, which would be like. Special Forces and Ranger Battalion and SEALs, SEALs and yeah. and everybody has their own culture. Culture. And a lot of people really believe that they come from the best. And I and they should. You're right. You're right. They should. Like Special Forces is a good example, right? Every group is better than the other group, depending on the group that you're in. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> every battalion is better than the other battalion. Every ODA is better than the other ODA. Like they're all just like better, right? But right, it's right, all based right. on what group, what battalion, what, what company, company, what ODA, yeah, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. 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 It's like, well, I was on you know, one one three five. What what whatever. Yeah, those dirtbags and second battalion, you know, <laughs> whatever. It's like Yeah, it's all the same. But, you know, the, so a couple of thoughts there. The important thing to remember is, so if you're a SEAL or a Green Beret or a Ranger or a MARSOC Raider, you should have, just like you said, you should have pride. And, you, you know, and I think it's okay to think you're the best. Mm-hmm. I think a healthy thing to remember is, okay, if you're a SEAL and you think you're the best, but let's say you had went, you know, in the fork of the road, you went SF instead of SEAL, you would feel the same way about the SF community. If you were at this stage, you know, yeah. in your career as you would have if you were a SEAL. You know, um, as a 160th guy, it was interesting because we flew everybody. Flew them all, yeah. Right, right. So we saw every community. We still do. I mean, right. it's not unusual to 
you know, fly SF or Rangers on a Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday, you're flying SEALs or right. Marine Raiders or AFSOC uh, Special Tactics. And what I would say is they're all unique. They mm-hmm. all have their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, but, you know, they're all, they all contribute and, they're, you know, they give us an overall capability. Mm-hmm. The key is, is understanding, especially as you get older, usually the arrogance and all of the things you're talking about are more the junior guys. It's junior. Right. Yeah. When they get a little more senior and they make friends that are cross mm-hmm. party lines or tribal lines, I guess mm-hmm. is a better way to say it. Might do an exchange. They might do right. like I a, flew you know. with Air Force Special Ops Command from 92 to 96, right after Desert Storm as an exchange right. pilot. And what, it changed my but career. But what'd you fly? I flew 60s. So back oh, then okay, okay. they had uh, gotcha. 60 Gulfs and they had right. 53 Js. They don't have either one of them now. So the food got better. Who got better? The housing was better. <laughs> uh, and, but you know, what it really did for me as a soldier was open my eyes that mm. they're not the evil empire. You know, we were in direct competition back then. And the intent of the exchange was sort of an exchange of prisoners, right? We had a guy yeah, go yeah. up to the 160th and fly, and I went down there. And it fundamentally changed the way I approached um, my career. I mean, I, I felt like I needed to, you know, I understood them. I probably defused a lot of potentially um, difficult, hostile situations when I say hostile, where why can't they do this or right, why can't right. they do that? But mm-hmm. I understood both sides of it. And I'm friends with a lot of the, seemed like Scott Howell just retired out of JSOC. He was the first Air Force three-star to ever command JSOC. We flew and sister squadrons back in the early 90s. We're friends mm. to this day. Right. He's on our board of the Special Ops Warrior Foundation. How many people do you have on your board? 24. Wow. It is. Can you board. name them all? Uh, I I'm, can't not, I'm not asking no, no, you no, to I do that. I'm just wondering, all. like, because I mean, that, that's a huge board. It is. Um, and it's about half civilians, corporate, right. lots, some veterans, some Vietnam vets. But then that's cool. we have a lot of military and right. they, we have, you know, we have SEAL representation, mm. uh, Marine representation, Rangers, mm. SF, special mission units, um, you know, Air Force special tactics. We have, you know, they're all represented on the board. We, you know, Pat McCauley just mm-hmm. retired as a SOCOM CSM. He's on our board. And, uh, and then we have a lot of corporate types. And it's a really healthy, I think, different uh, perspectives. Right. But it's certainly not um, contentious on the right. board at all. I mean, it's very collaborative and re- mutually respectful is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased. You're right. It is a big board, but it's not as difficult as I would have thought. You do quarterly board meetings? We do three board meetings a year, um, one in coming up here in December. We do one in August, which is a virtual, we dial in, and then we do one in April on the, right around the anniversary of Desert One, which is oh, yeah. the organization. So that was April right. 24th, 1980. Right. And so we do a, we do a gala, a local gala in Tampa, and we have a board meeting in conjunction with it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Maybe, how do you get an time. invite to that? Is that like um, a, Well, you got to know someone. And, you gotta be, <laughs> and I think it's important that you be nice to that person. <laughs> I think I might, I might know someone. I might know someone. I, so Desert One yep. was 1980. Yep. Um, you got to 160th what year? Um, I, I was in the military when that happened. I yeah. was a Marine. 
uh, probably an E5. I was an E5. You're an E5 in 1980? Wow. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's because I was in Okinawa. No, wait, maybe it was I an E5 then? I came in in 78. No, I was an E5. You came in in 78. January 4th, 1978. I was born January 29, 77. You joined the Marine Corps a year after you were a year born, after basically. basically. Yeah. Yeah. I was 17. High school dropout, mm-hmm. living in a foster home when I joined. It, you had kind of an interesting background that we touched on in the past because you, you went to South Africa. I did. Or, I, yeah. I spent a year there with my mom. She was, mm-hmm. did you, if you ever see that movie, Cry Freedom, it yep. was starring Denzel Washington. But what it was about was a newspaper editor named Donald Woods who was writing, he was an anti-apartheid guy right. in East London, South Africa. The name of the newspaper was Daily Dispatch. My mother worked for him. Mm. So I went to high school for a year in South Africa. Right. And let's just say it was a different experience than a U.S. Like you had to wear uniforms, you got yeah. haircut inspections, you got caned. Like if you, I don't know if they still do it over there, but I was the subject of many canings uh, over my time there. So that's that's what kind of developed you into the fine officer that you were later in life was yeah, it because you got spare the shit the ro- beat out of you. <laughs> spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> I, I remember the first time I was, we had to, you had to do like. Where do they hit you? In the, in the butt. In so the butt? The first one though, we were in the, so you had to do, their athletics are very big and uh, right. PT. So I played rugby, mm-hmm. but we were in the pool and you had to wear like these Speedos with the school colors. I went to Cambridge High School in East London, South Africa. And you had, we were counting off for mm-hmm. something. And we all kept screwing up the counting off on purpose, you know, thinking we were funny. So the coach made us all hop out of the pool in our wet Speedos. And I remember that was wicked painful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I went, I, you know, in the privacy of my own bathroom, when I got home, I looked and I was like, I mean, I literally jumped back in the water, put my head underneath the waters because I wanted to cry. It hurt so Oh, bad. wow. So, so it's just a cane pole, right? Yeah, it's a bamboo yeah. pole. I mean, yeah. it's not like they do it across your back, but they, and I don't even right. know if they still do it, but back then it was very common. Yeah. They called it getting canings or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a lot of, I would say, yeah, let's say teenage boys, that that would help their demeanor in a, in a big way. There's a lot of teenage boys that, Honestly, they just need to get their ass kicked. Like yeah, it, I mean, it would I, change I the way the their tired demeanor was. I see I people like that all the time. time. I'm like, that kid needs his ass kicked. Is what I say. You know? Yeah. It, it, by no means am I promoting, uh, you know, Corporate, child violence child or whatever. Right? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, they're like when I was a teenager, I was an asshole. I mean, I'm still kind of an asshole, but no, I was a real big asshole. But you shave teenager. now. Yeah, I shave now. I've got real responsibilities, you know? <laughs> you do. <laughs> Tons of shit has changed. <laughs> Some things stay yeah. the same. No, but I, I was an you. asshole. I, I got paddled in junior high and high school. I mean, I listen, I needed it. Oh, my dad, he and I went a few rounds back in the day. We went a few rounds. All my teenage years, I hit him. So I punched him when I was like 14. Was self-critiquing, I assume. Um, but it was interesting because you saw the shocked look on his face because he was like, I right. can't believe that just happened. Uh, as his glasses, he had those, uh, uh, George Bush, you know, era glasses. And I remember those things yeah, flipping yeah, yeah, off yeah, his yeah, face. Yeah, the big ones. The, yeah, yeah. I remember those things like flipping off his face. Bush. Yeah, 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 H.W., yeah. not, yeah, not yeah, W. Yeah, no G- G- and, uh, 
I remember him turning to me and the the fire and frenzy in his eyes at that point where I had made a crucial mistake. Uh, yeah. And um, that was like the first time. And then the second time, I think he might have thrown me out of the front door over the steps into the yard. I think he might have like tossed physically me that. Through, yeah, yeah, physically threw me into the yard and then gave me a couple couple good tune-ups. He made a couple good tune-ups in the years. Yeah. But I needed him. Like I was an I was an asshole. Like I was a 16, 17, you know, year old asshole and like I needed him, man. Like Well, I, you know, I sort of approached command like that cuz I joined the military and I was one of those guys, right? Right. And I, you know, and I needed a lot of guidance. You know, here I, you know, I reported the Second Marine Division, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I came from Washington State. I mean, I, I'd never been east of the Mississippi my entire life. Right. You know, so except I, for South Africa. Except for South Africa, <laughs> yeah, which was slightly, only slightly different than going from Washington State to North right. Carolina. Right. But you know, I, I think it was good NCOs like you know, kicking my ass and making sure that I stayed in line. And I, you know, later in life, I, I, as a battalion commander in Germany, I approached it that way. And I sort of looked at young troops and I would tell my, you know, company commanders and stuff. I say, look, when I didn't brief a company commander, I say from about 18 to 22. And, you know, some people take offense at this and it doesn't apply to everyone. Right. Because we're a a lot of a lot of it is our function of our upbringing, but right. I'd say that's what I call the booger-eating moron stage of life, right? Yep. So you're there, and you don't have the sense God gave a goose. You're not no. a strategic thinker. No. You know, you have I- zero executive thought. Listen, like zero. I, would, I would get, I, may, I remember my first few paychecks in the Marines, it was 106 bucks every two weeks. And if I didn't have a meal card- I would have starved to death. I mean, literally. <laughs> I would go out and I'd spend it all drinking and then I'd be like, you know, sad sack until next pay period. And then I'd repeat the cycle all right. over again. So, you know, the key to me with those young troops is because those kids will, the light will come on, right? They sure. call it, I think in Psych 101, they call it a transition point or something like that, where all of a sudden you're like, hey, I got to start doing things different. And right. I remember when it happened to me. and. I was on my way to Okinawa for my first tour. I did, I was at going, I did two tours in Okinawa in the Marines, my first one. And I was at Camp Pendleton waiting to get bussed up to the charter flight going mm-hmm. to Okinawa. And I just remember I was, you know, in some barrack somewhere shaving and said, Hey man, you got to pull your head out of your ass. I mean, you've got to do things different. And I started going to school. I went over there and I got my high school diploma and I started going to college at night you know, in Camp Schwab, Okinawa. And and it wasn't one epiphany or anything, right? It's a series of small victories. Mm -hmm. Like you do this and you do okay. And then you got a little more confidence and you try something else and, and it builds. But that, you know, if you can, if you can help kids, young men and women through that period where they're not at that level, that light switch hasn't flipped yet for them. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still going to have something great potentially come out the other end, even if they're a leadership challenge. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, as I said, you, you know, you, the part of protecting them is you got to see what's getting them in trouble and try to find ways to mitigate that. Right. So in Germany, when I was battalion commander, 
they were designer drugs were a big thing over there. And much what's, that, what's could, a designer drug? Well, I think it's a special drug that they would make in a lab, like ecstasy or something. I think uh, okay, would be considered okay. a designer right. drug. And it would it would stay in your system over a couple of days. So these, mm. you know, and you, the other issue we had over there was you could go to Amsterdam and pot was legal up there. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Remember that? So yeah. I told my company commanders, I said, you're required to do one-year analysis on a weekend a quarter, right? And I want you, I want a leader walking through the barracks every weekend between 2,200 and 04. Right. And that's among all the companies. So it wasn't that heavy of a burden. And I, I was on the DA6 for that myself. Right. But the whole key is there was not to get anybody in trouble, but to, under, to send the message to those troops, hey, there's consequences here, you know? And, you know, it's like if you're a guard and you're walking down a cell block at 02 every evening. Well, the jackassery stops at 0159 yep. and starts back up at 02. Right. So you got to be unpredictable mm-hmm. and make, you know, and when I grew up in the barracks, that was like Sodom and Gomorrah in the barracks. I mean, it was not, you know, a lot of fist fights and everything else. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> so you, my point was, again, it's not about skewering everybody. Mm-hmm. But it was about, you know, holding them accountable because that's part of your job as a leader, but also making them understand, okay, I can't do that. Right. If I do that, I'm, I, I could get caught. And so that comes off the plate of, of acceptable options for mm-hmm. them in their off time. The other thing that I thought was very effective was after I do an Article 15 on a troop, so I dismiss them and send them out. And I apologize because I may have told this story before, but it's, I'm pretty proud. I had a specialist, Kennedy. He was a generator mechanic in a motor pool. And he had been, I think he was one of the kids who went up to Amsterdam and got oh, yeah, yeah. tested positive <clears throat> on a urinalysis. Right. So he came in and he was an E3. We busted him to E1. And, and this is what I would do. And I, he's a case, he's my example here. But after the Article 15 was complete, I'd call the kid back in male or female. And I, you know, and I, they come back in and they're, you know, they're at attention. I say, okay, stand at ease, sit down. I've already held you accountable. Right. Now let's talk about what's next, right? Where are you going to go from here? Because again, the objective is not to, punishment isn't the objective there. You know, I mean, it's a necessary, it's a deterrence mm-hmm. and it's good order and discipline, but you want to take this and find out what what's next. And there's, there's practical advantages for me. If I get a kid, it's like, hey, I want out. This sucks. I want out of the army. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to invest any personal time in this sure. troop. They're already checked out. But this particular kid, Kennedy, came in, young African-American kid. He came in, he was crying, and he sat to me, and he was ashamed. So we talked, and I said, okay, Kennedy, where are we going to go? Where do we go from here? Right. What do you want? What? What do you want to happen next? And he said, I want to recover from this and I want to be a successful soldier. I said, okay, so I'm, I'm going to help you. So every day I do walkabouts, you know, and as part of my ROE, I'd walk around and just talk to troops, very low threat, right? right. And I go see him in the motor pool. And I was an aviation battalion commander, so trucks were not a priority for right, us, right? right? You know, it was aviation maintenance was yeah. really where our stuff focus was on. But I'd always make a point of seeing him. And, uh, you know, and just, hey, how are things going? What you doing? And, you know, how are things going? Well, so this happened probably four months into my command tour. 
So whatever, at the end of my two years, I was change of command. Kennedy was an E4. He was soldier of the quarter. And uh, I picked him to give the roses to my wife. You know, the <laughs> yeah. outgoing commander gets yeah. red roses, wife and the incoming commander's wife gets yellow. And I mean, it was a point to me. And it wasn't just, I mean, I was super proud of Kennedy. Right. But it was more like the the signal that sent to everyone else. Like, hey, you can recover from a mistake. Oh, yeah. You know? and And to me, that's part of that protecting these troops and not, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater because they've had a misstep. Because I had lots of missteps. I mean, I had lots of things that I should have got an article. Did you, though? Like, I find that hard to believe. Well, I, I, when, I, when I say I had a lot of missteps, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Right. I just didn't get caught. <laughs> no, I mean. No, I, it's fair. Well, That's I fair. mean, I was in, I'll, I'll give you an example. So we were in the Philippines on a float with, you know. It was a family show. Yes, just well, so you know. I'll, I'll, I am well aware. <laughs> so, you know, we were on the beach. We had done our exercise with the Filipino Marines, and we right. were going back out to our ships the next day. I drove these amphibious assault vehicles. So we're sitting on the beach while the local town threw a party. Right. Of course, we weren't allowed to go, right? Because we were, I was an E2 or an E3, probably right. an E3. E3. So this buddy of mine, Rob Powell, I don't I mean, I think he lives in Ohio, but he's like, hey, we're going to go. We're going to that party. <laughs> we are going to so, go. So we like hitch a ride on a deuce and a half. We go in there. We're drinking Sam McGill beer. Good beer. Completely. Good beer. Yeah, it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been to several floats to the Philippines over the years. And, you know, we were like totally weren't supposed to do that. And, you know, so we're walking. We're trying. And we, by the way, we were, we were the next morning at zero seven. We're taking off to go back. Our aircraft, our vehicles are getting launched to swim out to the ship and we're, you know, sailing away. Right. And if you miss that, it's called missing a movement. If you remember that, I mean, that's a big deal, right? That's not it's, just- It's one of the late. biggest deals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're like, it's like 5.45 in the morning or 6 in the morning. We're drunk as hell. We're walking back. We're like five miles from the beach in this little town. And I mean, we are totally screwed. You know, in this deuce and a half, Pulls up, and I just remember it was a bunch of drunk officers and NCOs in the back. We flagged it down, and when I'm like, "Why are you guys out here?" You know, and this guy I'm with, he said, "Well, uh, sir, we were we were here. They asked us to come out and police up all the NCOs and officers and the sailors because the sailors got to come in off the ship and go to the summit, not all oh, of them, but the right. leadership. We were here just to make sure everybody was, you know." Back on, uh, you know, back off the town and everything. So that's what we're doing, sir. And like, okay, we'll get on. I mean, like that could have went south, right? If that deuce and a half didn't stop, I would have missed a movement. So there were numerous, numerous numerous events. But again, I was in that young age where I didn't make good decisions, right? Because life's about choices. Um, But eventually that light comes on. And, you you know, what you want to do is protect those troops until that light comes on. Or at least you can't protect them within bounds. But I, I get that. I mean, well, the, the the brain doesn't even fully develop until you're 24. So you're still, yeah. like and, the brain's still developing, like your kids. And I, I 100% agree. The, the command relationship with, especially the younger soldiers, like you have to protect them from themselves. Exactly right. You really do. Right. And then even when they screw up, if you can, and you can't always, right? If you can, give them a second chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on what they do. Absolutely. It depends right. on what they do. But 
between you know, you know, eighteen and twenty-four, statistically, you're going to make a lot of exactly bad decisions. Like you're going to just yeah. make bad decisions. Like I made bad decisions. I, but the I, system is less tolerant today than it was. You can't then. do it. No, you have you had a lot of like, latitude to mm-hmm. handle things at a lower level. I drove drunk when I was that age, I would imagine. I think I, at I least multiple too. times. I did too. And you know, I've never was in trouble for it. I've never had either. a DUI, but I definitely made poor choices. Well, and I think that that's a good example of if I would have got a Dewey while in, arguably it could have ruined anything that I wanted to Absolutely. do professionally. A DUI is an unrecoverable mm. event. It is. I mean, but when is. you were in, when you first joined, it was not that way. It wasn't that way, right? Yeah. When I came in, Company parties that you had one drink choice. Right. It was beer. That was three, two beer. <laughs> right. Back in the day. Um, but that's what you had. There wasn't like this the way it is now, or you, which is better. You have water and soda. You have options. Right. Right. Back then, company parties, you got a hot dog, a hamburger, and a beer. Right. Period. Yeah. That's what you got. Um, so I agree. You know, and I have my youngest son as a junior at Clemson. Right. right. And Sometimes he'll make decisions. And I have two older boys that are now graduated college. One's married. Um, and there, some of their decisions would frustrate us. And, you know, I'd have to tell my wife, I said, because we're looking at it through the lens of someone who's had that life experience. Right. So my, one of my, um, you know, my uh, oldest son, you know, he came up with it. He goes, I'm going to get a dog. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's a horrible idea. And I'm like, I think you should get two. <laughs> Why? Because life's the best teacher, right? So I said, you know, it's fun to have a dog when you pet them and, you know, but then you walk away from them when they chewing up your yeah. stuff and they're crapping on your floor and you mm-hmm. don't have a way to walk them. You're working long hours. I said, we can say it till we're blue in the face, but some things you just have to experience, right? And I told my wife, I said, that's not catastrophic. Now we may end up with a dog sure. out of this. Or two. Or two. Right. But you know, my point was that they're going to learn that lesson. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to have a, they're going to get a dog. And one of them did. And he got, he had to turn it back. It's just right. his lifestyle, his job wasn't conducive for that. Mm-hmm. But he would have never listened to us. No. So to me, you know, that's part of it is let them make mistakes. You know, now you don't want him to be like, hey, I'm getting, you know, I'm going to, you know, I want to, uh, one of my, my youngest son is a chemistry major at Clemson. Right. Well, I'm going to, you know, I want to manufacture explosives in my apartment. <laughs> well, no, that's not right. in right. the acceptable realm. Do you, Dad, do you think I could make methamphetamine? I think I might be able to out of some, yeah, you'd be like, no, yeah. absolutely not. Yeah, what are you talking that about? That is definitely <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. like. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. king's act. We are <laughs> yeah. not doing it. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!